Tank Streamlabs. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tank Stream Speaks. We are joined by Ben Ford, also known as Mr. Fintech, the head of growth at Frollo. Ben, welcome to Tank Stream Speaks. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. It's a delight to be here. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Great. Now, Ben, we've known each other for many, many years, and you've been around in the Australian fintech landscape for many years, and you would have seen all sorts of issues and challenges that fintechs have been through over that period. Before we get into that, though, let's dive into a bit of detail about you. If you can just let us know who you are, what's your job, and what does Frollo do? Sure, Brad. Um, yeah, it feels like that was a loaded question with a lot to it. But we'll start at the basics. So uh, I'm Ben Ford, um, also known as Fintech Ford in some quarters. Don't know if I'm known as Mr. Fintech. I think there might be one or two other people who have a better claim to that than me. But um, I work for Frollo. Frollo is a consumer personal finance management app. Um, it enables consumers to better manage their finances, um, to save for goals, um, track their expenses, see where their money's going, and ultimately work towards a better financial future for themselves and their families. Um, my job there is essentially to sell that platform to other banks, uh, fintechs and financial institutions who might want to leverage our software to build out their solutions. So we build banking apps for a number of banks that you know, Virgin Money, PNN, Beyond Bank, and a number of other ones as well. So what is your company's expertise? Sort of two areas. One is leveraging the software or the platform that we've built for other organizations to, I guess, get to market more quickly. Um, they might be in a buy or build scenario with their banking app and they want to leverage what we've got um, to get to get to market quicker. And the other area is around open banking. Um, we've spoken about open banking a lot, you and I, and the entire have, fintech yeah. ecosystem over the last few years. Um, but essentially, it's a way to enable consumers to have more power around their own financial data and, again, to achieve better financial outcomes for themselves and their, their families. Now, you mentioned that we have spoken about open banking a lot. And open banking has seemed to be a trend that kind of comes and goes over the years. There's businesses that also in that space. And it's it's interesting to, to really understand what the limitations are, but also the real positive impact that open banking can have to consumers and the whole banking industry. So for people that are listening who might not necessarily work in the fintech space, can you just give a bit of an overview as to exactly what open banking is? Yes, and that's a good question, Brad. And I guess one of the things that we often get caught up in, particularly working in the open banking, in inverted commas, field, is um, not many people actually know what it means. It means absolutely nothing to the average consumer on the street. I guess a simple way to um, articulate the benefits of open banking is if you think about um, people in their current banking relationships, their current financial relationships, Australians spend or waste around $11.4 billion a year on unnecessary banking charges, missed interest, um, paying too much on their credit card and things like that. Open banking potentially gives you the ability to see that you you could earn a better rate on your savings than you're currently earning. It would give you the opportunity to switch accounts and move to the highest interest rate bearing account and ultimately earn more interest over the course of the year. So if you break that $11.4 billion that's effectively being wasted or left on the table by Australian consumers, divvy that up by the number of Australian households that there are. Each Australian household, on average, saving around about $2,400 a year, I think, if I did the maths right on that, or last time I checked. Um, and that's significant, particularly when you're in a, a cost of living crisis or in a high inflation environment. So it's not so much as to what, what open banking is, it's more about the benefits that it can achieve or it can present for the average Australian consumer or the average Australian household. That's a lot of money, 2400 per year. 
to the average family. Absolutely. Wow. And it sounds all right in principle, but we all know how difficult it is in the banking world to set up a new account and move accounts, etc. So does does open banking also make that experience a lot more seamless? That's the utopian idea. It's not there yet at the moment, but ultimately that's where it could it could get to. Absolutely. So imagine a situation where you open your banking app and using open banking, you've linked a number of different um, accounts that you've got held away. You might have a savings account with a different bank or a different institution and your banking app can see that or your bank can see that and they can say, we see on the account that you've got held away, you're earning 3% interest on your $10,000. They could serve you up a message in your banking app that says, we're paying 5% interest at the moment as an introductory rate. Would you like to make that change? And then ultimately, and this is the really exciting part, you'd be able to effectively change accounts in as little as five or six or seven clicks within your banking app, move that $10,000 over to the bank account that you're dealing with as as your core banking app, earn more interest on it and start to recoup some of that $2,400 on average that is there and up for grabs that the average Australian household's potentially missing out on. I can imagine over the last five or six years with very low interest rates, you know, the appetite for open banking probably hasn't been huge with with consumers. But I, I can imagine now with the growth of interest rates and the, the savings that consumers can achieve on their savings, open banking is probably very desirable in this current climate. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to be crystal clear that sort of account switching is a long way off yet, but the cogs are turning to get to that stage. So there are other use cases as well. But you're absolutely right. It becomes far more essential or far more useful and far more beneficial when you are facing a sort of recessionary environment. There's a cost of living crisis and every dollar counts for a lot of people. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think people should be looking to it more as an opportunity. There are, as I say, other use cases that involve sort of lending and speeding up the lending process, removing friction in the mortgage lending process and so on. Um, But that's one that's uh, a reasonably um, easy way for people to grasp the concept of what potentially could be done with open banking. So there's lots of opportunities across a whole range of financial products. Absolutely. They're sort of generally referred to as use cases. You have a lending use case, you have a money management or a savings use case, perhaps you have an account switching use case. The list goes on. We're still very much in the early days at the moment. So the focus is at the moment is very much on lending. I'd love to see it move towards more of that account switching um, type environment, open banking payments. Um, and that's where I think uh, you generally see in other jurisdictions, particularly in Europe, which are a couple of years ahead of us, that's where they've really seen the rubber start to hit the road with open banking. Again, it's been a slow burn there as it has been here. I don't think that's going to change anywhere, but that's what could be on the cards in the next few years, potentially. Right. right. Talking about Europe, you recently just got back from a trip to Money 2020. What were some of the key themes coming out in the fintech space that you came across or that you are having deep discussions with with your European counterparts? Yeah, there, uh, there were a few actually. It was, it was really interesting. There were op- open banking was a key theme. Um, I was hoping to pick up a bit more as to what was going on in Europe or a few more sort of real insights from the European situation that we could potentially start to leverage and, and sort of bring back into the Australian uh, landscape and ecosystem. Probably didn't see as much there as I thought. Um, there was a massive trend amongst large corporates sort of acquiring fintechs and, and buying up fintechs effectively for the innovation as much as anything else. So that was really interesting. Um, there was a huge amount on the circular economy, which was new to me and a little bit sort of adjacent to the the fintech sort of world in which I, I generally operate. Um, and that was uh, around about sort of a, a bit of an ESG focus or um, a lot about sort of recycling devices and things, which I found really, really interesting, sort of big key themes and presentations on that. And then a, a lot on lending as well, and also payments. They were some of the main ones. How do you see the current state of the fintech ecosystem here? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty pretty tough at the moment. I think there's probably a, a sort of two tier or two speed fintech economy happening. Uh, there's companies that uh, are able to to hustle, um, make money, almost sort of running on the on the smell of an oily rag to some degree. And I think as we're seeing, there's there's some that through not necessarily any fault of their own, are sort of doing it really tough at the moment. And we're seeing companies that we've sort of you know observed over the last three, four, five years, two years perhaps even, um, are really struggling to survive and are perhaps running out of runway. I think I think it's time for people to really sort of focus on the the basics and the essentials. I think the frothiness and frivolity that we've seen over the last couple of years has sort of well and truly been sort of banished now. That said, there is still a lot of capital um, knocking around for the right companies. Um, I think what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing is that companies are having to slash valuations to get any investment um, or they're having to really sort of be able to provide a pathway to to revenue, to profitability and, and break even to, to really sort of get on people's radar. I think, uh, you know, if you're not sort of um, profitable or got no sort of clear runway to be profitable, then I think you're, go, you're going to struggle. Okay, so talking around the fintech ecosystem, are there any particular areas within the fintech industry that are impressing you right now? Um, There are in pockets. Like I say, I think those that sort of can run super, super lean are doing really, really well. Um, I think the sort of days of the extravagant parties and entertaining and, and the budgets that go with that, followed by huge cutbacks, a long gone, but that was definitely a theme last year. I think of some in the commercial lending space seem to be doing very well. Um, I'm hearing about sort of ridiculous gross margins in some of these businesses that are uh, do, doing very, very well. Um, but it does it is becoming trickier to pick, I think. I think platforms will continue to do well. I think companies like Shape, um, TikTok, some of the open banking platforms. Frollo was acquired a couple of years ago. Um, Basic was acquired recently for um, a pretty strong multiple, I understand. So so um, I think there are pockets of the industry that are, are doing fairly well or, or sort of being able to demonstrate a pathway to profitability or a pathway to becoming almost an essential component of other businesses um, and the way they work. So I think those are the ones that will continue to do well. I think that's a very good summary there. Now, in terms of Frollo itself, going back to the, the product, what question do your customers most frequently ask you about the, the platform or open banking in particular? Well, with open banking, they want to know if it's working, <laughs> um, if the data there, what the data quality is. And, and we've got all those data points, so we can show them that it is, and we can uh, refer them to the follow app where they can actually see open banking in action for themselves. So we're fortunate in that regard that we have our app that's provided completely free of charge to consumers that effectively acts as a bit of a shop window for us to demonstrate open banking and the features and functionality um, of the app. Generally, it's just sort of reinforcing that, you know, open banking ultimately is going to be um, ubiquitous across the bank data sharing um, experience. I think screen scraping, which is the alternative to open banking, is going to be phased out. We're sort of generally fending questions about that. And as I say, we've got answers that we're pretty comfortable with for the most part. So what questions do you think consumers or prospective clients of Frollo should be asking you? I guess with the economy the way it is at the moment, when you're selecting any vendor, um, is that vendor going to be around in in the next six to 12 months would be an immediate one. I think, you know, the, the inevitability or it's inevitable that there will be some people that are or some businesses that fall by the wayside um, or acquired. As I say, Frollo was acquired. One of our competitors, Basic, was acquired. So uh, people are looking at this space, larger organizations and saying, well, hang on, open banking, we see it as being a, a key theme or an essential area in which to play in the next 
next two to five years and we need to acquire a company now. Is now the good time to acquire an open banking organisation? Potentially, because I think valuations have probably dipped substantially from where they were um, a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I think sort of longevity. Um, and I think that's a relationship that could work both ways. Um, you know, if you're a small open banking provider and you can go into the arms of a large corporate, then that's um, going to give you some stability. So here you go. You heard it here first. If you're an open banking provider, put the for sale sign out the front. <laughs> that's uh, not financial advice. Absolutely not. But uh, perhaps. You're known as Mr. Fintech. But outside of work which i think is equally important you also have a living nickname super fit dad you are a champion of fitness and, and wellness and mental health i know you work with a lot of companies and help them with fitness programs and wellness programs give us a bit of an overview and why it's so important to you thanks for mentioning that brad super fit dad was a started life as a blog actually back in 2013 and it was largely born out of the i guess the sort of struggles i faced when uh, my son drake aka super fit kid was born um <laughs> and i guess i I sort of came to the conclusion that if I was fine, as someone who's always been fairly active um, and fairly, you know, valued my fitness and, and time to train and work out um, from a physical and a mental sort of health perspective, um, if I was finding that tough, then I couldn't really imagine or I could only imagine what it would be like for people who weren't so uh, physically inclined, I guess, if that's the right way to say it. Um, so, so started uh, writing articles or just trying to sort of put down some of my workouts um, to give people a chance to le leverage those and use them when when they were looking after their kids or, or, ma or making time to have, have workouts. Um, it rolled into a, a weekly blog. Um, there were weekly workouts that were sent out every Friday for uh, people to do or dads to do over the weekend. Um, and the idea was to really, as I say, just share my experience, share some of my, uh, I guess, sort of tactics or tips for training, nutrition. Uh, a bit of meditation was in there as well in those days. And uh, yeah, it just sort of went from there. Um, I ended up working with um, a few businesses, a number of fintechs providing personal training or group training sessions mostly on a sort of volunteer basis. And the blog's a little bit defunct now, but I still work with a couple of fintechs. I still teach boot camps on the beach, Coogee and Bondi most weeks. And that's what uh, Superfit does all about. Great. You know, there's a really important message there as well is, you know, no matter how busy you are with work, you need to make time for yourself, for your health, for your fitness, for your mental health. Abs absolutely. Okay, Ben. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. If there's any clients or prospective clients listening to the podcast who want to find out more about Frollo, where would they go? They can hit me up on LinkedIn. They can find Superfit Dad at Superfit Dad on Instagram and frollo.com.au. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to get your perspectives on open banking, the fintech landscape here in Australia, and also how important fitness and wellness is to the workplace. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brad. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Streamlabs. 